Let's begin in prayer. Heavenly Father, what a blessing and privilege it is um, as the people of God, as your, your church, to gather and to fellowship around the word, to, to learn from the scripture as we open up the text, as we sing truth, as we pray, as we um, gather around the word today. God, be glorified through our worship. And if it is we think carefully about this chapter in Leviticus, I pray that it would be helpful for, for each of us and it be glorifying to you. Um, just be with us during this time. We love you. We thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, we are close to wrapping up Leviticus. So this week, we're going to look at chapter 26. Next week, going to look at chapter 27 and, and really probably kind of a comprehensive just reminder of the whole book. So two weeks left today and then next Sunday and Leviticus is done. Uh, future plans, uh, we're, we're going to talk about the, doc the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. That, that's what's kind of next as far as the series. And then we'll, we'll continue in the Pentateuch after that. So we'll be in Numbers after we, we study the doctrine of the Holy Spirit for, for a little bit. So sometime early next year, we'll, we'll jump into Numbers. So today it's Leviticus chapter 26. Uh, I would like to go ahead and read through the entire chapter here in just a few moments. I'm going to actually give you a task prior to doing that. So want us all to be listening in for, for certain things as we walk through the chapter. But just point out here that what's taking place at the end of Leviticus is something that it would be relatively standard for an ending to you know, a legal you know, well, covenant here in this scripture. So, so the, the blessings of obedience, the curses of disobedience, that's really what's characterizing this chapter. And it's not unique to Leviticus. So if you even went over towards the end of Deuteronomy, you'd find something very similar happening in Deuteronomy chapter 28. This is something that happens to some degree in, in other books, Exodus, Joshua. It, it happens in, in treaties, in secular uh, documents as well, where you have towards the end of the agreement you have this reminder of the blessings that will, the benefits that would come from adhering to and the consequences if you were to move away from what you agreed to. So here then, for a covenant, this conditional Mosaic covenant, you're, you're going to read of these conditional realities in chapter 26. If you keep my commands, it will go well for you. And if you do not, well, the very opposite of going well for you, it will not. It will be horrible. It will be terrible. There will be many difficult um, consequences, discipline, judgment from God upon the nation Israel. So as we're walking through this, just, just be mindful of, of that reality. We're ending the letter, and so these blessings and curses are an important conclusion to, to this, this letter. I'm also... As, as we're reading through, I think I even just used this word, but just be mindful of this conditional reality here. So there are, there are uh, other covenants that God has made. Um, even, you know, if you think Abrahamic covenant, there's, there's unconditional realities that are, that are going on there. Um, this Mosaic covenant distinct here, this, this is a conditional 
covenant, and you certainly see that in the chapter. So he's going to make an appeal to the unconditional nature of the Abrahamic covenant later in Leviticus. So we just want to, uh, later in chapter 26, so we just want to be mindful of that. And um, it's really striking, though, as we read through to, to remind ourselves of where we are in the Old Testament, because what you read in chapter 26 is what takes place in, in the history of Israel. And, and so you're, you're being told, if you, if you obey me, here's what it's going to look like. If you disobey me, here's what it's going to look like. And then when we walk through the Old Testament, we see it looking like that for everything that has already taken place. And then we even think of, of f- the future for Israel, of what it's going to look like in God's faithfulness to uh, ethnic Israel and his, his blessings upon that nation. And um, if they respond rightly to God's discipline. So it's really just striking to think he, this, is, uh, this, is, this is telling you what it's going to end up looking like. Because the very thing that, that, that is spelled out in chapter 26 is what takes place later in the Old Testament. And so as we walk through it, we're going to see that these punishments in the second half of the chapter, as we watch those being poured out on Israel for, for their disobedience, uh, we really, this would be a distinction here in, in the life of our church, would, would have this consistent hermeneutic, this, this Bible study principle, Bible interpretation principle of seeing the, these promises that are given to Israel, uh, rem- they're, they're promises to Israel. These, these curses that are given to Israel, they're, they're poured out on Israel. And so both these, these blessings and these curses are, are fulfilled on, upon Israel. So we just want to be mindful of that as we, as we walk through, because there would be tendencies and other approaches to the scripture to see these, these uh, judgments, these curses that, that are applied to Israel um, are then, you know, the blessings that, that will in the future be, poor, um, will be replaced uh, no longer for Israel, but for whether it's the church or something else similar in mindset. So both blessings and curses that are going to be poured out on Israel. So with that, let's read the chapter. And here's what I want you to look for just at the beginning. I think a a helpful question just to always ask ourselves when we're reading the text is what do we learn about God? And so with this uh, list of blessings and list of of curses, there's, there's a lot that we learn about God. So let's observe that. As I'm reading, take note of different attributes that you see on display, and I'd like us to list those after we read through the chapter. Something that you notice about who God is uh, and his character in light of what is said and what will be done. So Leviticus 26, what do we learn about God? Ready? Here we go. Verse 1. You shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image or pillar, and you shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit." Your threshing shall last to the time of the grape harvest, and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing. And you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land securely. I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, 
and none shall make you afraid. And I will remove harmful beasts from the land, and the sword shall not go through your land. You shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase ten thousand, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat old store long kept and you shall clear out the old to make way for the new. I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and I will be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. Verse 14, but if you will not listen to me and will not do all these commandments, if you spurn my statutes and if your soul abhors my rules so that you will not do all my commandments but break my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will visit you with panic, with wasting disease and fever that consume the eyes and make the heart ache. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be struck down before your enemies. Those who hate you shall rule over you, and you shall flee when none pursues you. And if in spite of this you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. And I will break the pride of your power. And I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. And your strength shall be spent in vain. For your land shall not yield its increase. And the trees of the land shall not yield their fruit. Then, if you walk contrary to me and will not listen to me, I will continue striking you sevenfold for your sins. And I will let loose the wild beast against you which shall bereave you of your children and destroy your livestock and make you few in number so that your roads shall be deserted. And verse 23, if by this discipline you are not turned to me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you. And I myself will strike you sevenfold for your sins. And I will bring a sword upon you that shall execute vengeance for the covenant. And if you gather within your cities, I will send pestilence among you and you shall be delivered into the hand of the enemy. When I break your supply of bread, 10 women shall bake your bread in a single oven and shall dole out your bread again by weight and you shall eat and not be satisfied. But if in spite of this, you will not listen to me, but walk contrary to me, then I will walk contrary to you in fury. And I myself will discipline you sevenfold for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. And I will destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and cast your dead bodies upon the dead bodies of your idols. And my soul will abhor you and I will lay your cities waste and will make your sanctuaries desolate, and I will not smell your pleasing aromas. And I myself will devastate the land, so that your enemies who settle in it shall be appalled at it. And I will scatter you among the nations, and I will unsheath the sword after you, and your land shall be a desolation, and your cities shall be a waste. And then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate, while you are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall have rest, the rest that it did not have on your Sabbaths when you were dwelling in it. And as for those of you who are left, I will send faintness into their hearts in the lands of their enemies. The sound of a driven leaf 
shall put them to flight, and they shall flee as one flees from the sword, and they shall fall when none pursues. They shall stumble over one another as if to escape a sword, though none pursues. And you shall have no power to stand before your enemies, and you shall perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And those of you who are left shall rot away in your enemies' lands because of their iniquity, and also because of the iniquities of their fathers. They shall rot away like them. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers in their treachery that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham, and I will remember the land. But the land shall be abandoned by them and enjoy its Sabbath while it lies desolate without them. And they shall make amends for their iniquity because they spurned my rules and their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them, neither will I abhor them so as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God. But I will for their sake remember the covenant of their forefathers whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations that I might be their God. I am the Lord. These are the statutes and rules and laws that the Lord made between himself and the people of Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai. Right. Observations. What do we learn about... God. Okay. <laughs> you see how to respond rightly to him. We, we, okay. So, uh, good. Character then of, of God in, in a call to obedience. Think of where we start, right? I mean, this has been repeated often, and it'll be violated often uh, by the, by a, unfaithful Israel, but, but you're seeing God is a jealous God. So right worship, uh, worship God only, and worship him rightly. And so if you're thinking Ten Commandments, you know, it's very clear. If you're thinking uh, an appeal to this reality often throughout the Pentateuch, and then here's how chapter 26 begins again. We're just seeing um, this chapter begins with a, an appeal to the law, to, to worship God only and to worship him rightly because he's a jealous God. Very good. Yes. He disciplines the ones he loves but he, he says he will not utterly destroy them. Okay, so there's, so you're, repentance, I mean, when they repent, then he, he blesses them again. So you're seeing that the um, attributes of God, you're seeing God is love and love on display through discipline and discipline, that word is used often in the curses. Uh, I say often, I can think verse 18, verse 28, and perhaps elsewhere. We'll, we'll look at it in a second. But so, so the love of God on display in disciplining those whom he loves because your second point was that judge, the judgment upon Israel is not to be viewed as him abandoning Israel, but he is faithful to Israel. So the discipline ha- has an aim. So, so we're talking jealous, jealousy here, uh, worship. God only. We're talking love 
in that he disciplines those whom he loves. You're seeing his faithfulness on display in not abandoning um, those whom he has covenanted with. Let's keep going. Other, other attributes. I'm not sure what the best word for it would be, but he is laying this out for them. He's not leaving them in the dark. He is making all the blessings clear, all the curses clear, and what they have to do in repentance. So he's not leaving them trying to figure out what the plan is. That's good. So even let's think of certain things that would be on display. What were you saying? Sights on it. Okay, yeah. Forthright. Like, I guess I'm even thinking like immutability in a way. Like this isn't, in fact, even like when you think of a parent's like proper discipline, there's often a benefit to to tell your child what you're going to discipline. You're going to provoke them to anger if they just have no idea. What, what kind of, what's that, how's dad going to respond today? Like they would know what they're going to be disciplined for and they're going to know how they're going to be disciplined. They're going to know how many times they're going to be disciplined. You know, it's like you, you, they go in knowing that, that, you know, that's how, that's loving, corrective discipline. And that's certainly how God deals with, this is, this is my commands, gave them to you on two tablets. You know, obey these commands. If you obey them, blessing abounds if you disobey them terror you know the exact as as blessed as the blessings are um the, the curses are equally as you know just difficult and horrific you know, terror so so i think some immutability would be there and uh, let's, let's keep going other attributes well um it's interesting that the blessings come first and then the curses come and then there's exile, which is another thing, and then back to restoration. So it's almost like a circle. You see that God gives us blessings before the curses come. Very good. That's the bad choice. <laughs> so really going to be significant to look at verse 13 in a, in a few minutes when we walk through the text to be mindful of how, why they're even, you know, why they were even delivered. You know, it, it, it wasn't because they, they did, it, it wasn't obedience that preceded deliverance. Like God delivered them. God had called them out. They were his nation, chosen nation. He chose them. He delivered them. Um, and now they're, now they're called to obey. It isn't the opposite where they're, they're called to obey and then in light of obedience, he acts. No, he, he um, delivered them and then they're called to obey. So he's delivered them. They're his people and yeah, there's blessings of being the people of God. But uh, yeah. You know, interesting over, was it the summer uh, where we talked about doctrines of grace and we talk, when we talked about God being sovereign, we walked through a variety of ways that God's sovereignty is on display in the scriptures. And I don't think any of my cross-references on that were in Leviticus. But it's, as you walk through the blessings and curses, where do you see God's sovereignty, where, where's God's sovereignty demonstrated uh, throughout the chapter? His providence, I mean, is very evident in there. I mean, you've got nature and the enemies of God. Good, good, good. And all these things are being used to accomplish his purposes for them. Right, so you said uh, nature. Think of the blessings that are going to come through providing, you know, rain in its season. Wisdom on display in, in this cycle for, for harvest, but uh, God's sovereign over nature. Then you even, uh, Bobby was pointing out, he's sovereign over ungodly nations because they're going to be used in the curses side of things. Well, that's not even it. Even in the blessings, when you think of, 
you know, like the, the 45 to three kind of dominance that takes place uh, in the score. That was, uh, was supposed to be great for all our FSU fans. But um, in, in like the numbers that are going to destroy other nations, you know, just several people that are going to go and destroy hundreds and just many that are going to go and destroy thousands. Like they are going to be powerful because God is their God. And so they are going to dominate in, in blessings. Then in the curses, the table has turned. It will not, they will be defeated in a, in, in a so yeah, you're seeing, um, again, I'm trying to stick with sovereignty here, but you're seeing he's sovereign over nations. And, and even in that, that sovereignty demands that he's pow- all powerful. He, his, so his omnipotence is on display in, in the dominance, the defeating that will take place by other nations and upon other nations. Other, other um, areas of, of sovereignty on display, um, wild beasts, I think we, we see that. I think he's patient and long-suffering because he doesn't destroy them immediately. He keeps giving them time to repent and then he will punish them Yeah. So long-suffering, the, the patience of God in the curses that have been um, unfolded, disclosed, and then will be poured out. But yes, he, he continues to demonstrate patience. Any other attributes? I, I did write providence. providence. And how, how so? Just, just, just care for them. Yeah, right. Yeah, on both in both categories, seeing God's, God's care for them uh, and, and everything that unfolds, there's no mystery to why it's happening. And it's all because God has brought it about. The purposes of the Lord will stand. Uh, and so this is the covenant that he has struck with them. If they will obey it, it will go well for them. They don't have to be curious if he's capable to do that. He is sovereign over all. He reigns. He rules. He's all powerful. He's unchanging. He's not going to change his mind. And then if they don't keep his commands, there's no mystery to what's going to happen because he's even more specific about what's going to happen there. And they'd be wrong to think that these difficult things that are happening would be synonymous with God abandoning them because there's even this mindset, this, this discipline, this judgment, it, uh, as awful as it is, if you would just repent and turn to me, um, you see, you see the um, restoration that is spoken of in the last part of, of Leviticus. So all of it, God's providence is on display through it all. Very good. I think God is good. You see that even just in how, how he provides for, for them. Think of uh, even New Testament realities of just knowing that, that, that every good gift comes from God. And so even this, uh, this, prom- this promise of productivity, the, the blessing of productivity, uh, they're, they're going to harvest and they're going to continue to have food. God is good. And so he provides good gifts. And so they can be comforted by those good gifts. Pretty good list. I think, that, think that'll work then. Uh, we we want to be mindful of, of who God is as we walk through. So, now that we've done that, let, let's actually go through in, in your outline, just kind of walking through uh, the chapter. And, and so we've read the whole chapter. I think we'll probably reference 
quite a bit as well as, as we go through. But as you start, this, this intro again is this reminder that, that of, of God's commands to them, this, that they are to worship God only and worship him rightly. And so you're seeing that in verses one and two. You shall not make idols for yourselves and you shall not set up a figured stone in your land. Uh, you shall keep my Sabbaths. You shall reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Okay, and so that, that's how it starts. And then as you walk through these blessings, the, uh, you'll see that, that I, I, I took this from um, Dr. Barrick. He was a Hebrew professor at Master's Seminary. Uh, he taught a Sunday school class on Leviticus, and I really appreciated getting to read through the notes from that class. And anyway, this is just how the categories of blessings that he points out in those verses 3 through 13. You, know, you have productivity, peace, power, population, provision, presence. If I was to list out the blessings, they would have been nowhere near as like clever, you know, there. So that's why I, I borrowed this. But uh, in the productivity side of it, just look there at, at verses three through five. If you walk in my statutes and observe my commandments and do them, then I will give you your rains in their season and the land shall yield its increase and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshings shall last to the time of the grape harvest and the grape harvest shall last to the time for sowing. And so within this provision from God, you're really seeing the wisdom of God in the way that the harvest comes and the times and seasons for the rain to happen at the right time and for the harvest to happen at the right time. And I was even reading in one, one commentary where, where they were interacting with like this, this text, this ancient Near Eastern description of the agricultural calendar. I mean, it sounds like an absolute page turner. Uh, like this, this, and, uh, but it, but what, it, what it points out, it, it really is just neat to see the wisdom of God. Here's what he, he notes. The grain was usually gathered in early summer. And then there was a gap of two months until the grapes and the olives were ready to pick. And once the rains began in late fall or early winter, then sowing would commence. And so, I don't know, just that didn't happen by accident. How the, the rains would come in their season so that the, so they would provide for the crops. But then there's also th these seasons that were provided for harvest too. And so God's wisdom and goodness on display in the blessing of, of producing. And so they, they have this increase, this blessing uh, in regards to that. Now, I should also point out, this would be an, uh, an important reality here. We're talking about blessings. And as we move into the curses here in just a few minutes, it's interesting to see the corresponding nature of this, like con the converse to the, the blessings will be the curses. So if you think, wow, He's going to provide for them, and he's going to do it in a, in a wise way. God, God provides for his people. They have all they need. They don't need to be anxious for anything. They don't need to worry about tomorrow. Or is there going to be food is, with this blessing? But then you will see the very opposite with, with the curses. Think of the horrific nature of what you read about in, in regards to what they eat. Think of um, the limited, if you're thinking there's, there's, abundance in the blessings and the curses, this, this uh, description of how the lack of abundance, where you're going to have like 10 families who are all going to have to gather around one stove and they're going to try and cook bread and they're going to have to parse it out and you're going to get your allotment and you are going to be hungry 
after you get your bread. That's the, the curses that kind of correspond with, God's gonna produce for them. They're gonna have what they need and these blessings, it's gonna be opposite with, with the curses as well. So there, there's um, the blessing of just having what they need. God provides uh, for his people. There's peace in, in verse six. I will give peace in the land and you shall lie down. None shall make you afraid. I guess it would be fun just to even think, did you catch in your mind some of the things that even would bring fear in, in the curses side of things? You're thinking like, what was that? You know, they just heard a leaf drop, you know, and they're thinking, we're being attacked. And there, there's no peace. You're not at rest because at any moment you're going to be destroyed. But here in the blessing side of it, there's nothing to fear. No one is going to attack uh, because they will, they will be destroyed. None shall make you afraid. Verse six, because God is sovereign over all the nations and God is all powerful. And so they're gonna have power because this power comes from God alone who is, is powerful. So, so the power that's listed there in verses, well, really six, seven and eight because he's seeing his power over, he's gonna, he's gonna remove the harmful beasts. They exist in this territory. They're in this land. Uh, it's not like they were just gonna accidentally show up. No, they're, they're very much a part of this culture and yet God is going to remove, there's not gonna be a, a, a concern about what these wild animals are gonna do because God's gonna protect them from them. That will not be the case in the curses. But again, the power of God on display in verses seven and following, look how, look how overwhelming they're gonna be to their enemies. Their enemies are gonna fall. They're gonna die by the sword. Um, and you don't have to worry about the numbers because five of you will take care of 100 of them. That, that's, you know, 100 of you, you would chase away 10,000, says verse eight. Your enemies are gonna fail. They're gonna fall before you by the sword. So, so this blessing of power over the other nations. Verse nine, think of, think of God. Well, we, this was another category we didn't mention in, in regards to God's sovereignty. Look at verse nine. I will turn to you and make you fruitful and multiply you and will confirm my covenant with you. I mean, if you're mindful of just the, uh, the blessing of children and, and you're mindful of every good gift comes from God, you're seeing that even, even um, you know, being fruitful and multiplying, that's something that God is sovereign over. And, and so he, uh, he would make them fruitful and multiply uh, in light of his covenant with them. So, so they're going to grow. They're going to um, you know, be fruitful and multiply. Verse, verse 10, again, you see, uh, the provision on display that they were already productive and produced a lot. And so now they have all they need. They have everything they need in abundance. Verse 10, you, have, you still have what you've stored up. You have that. And uh, when you clear out the old, make way for the new because there's gonna be plenty of new. You know, I will, and then I will dwell with you. I will be your God. I will walk among you and I will be your God. You shall be my people question for you then about this in regards to God's presence among his people. Um, when, when God visits Israel, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Whoever said yes, right, yes. That was a good answer. Because and that's the same, when we walk through God's attributes, it's so helpful to, to recognize that category in regards to who God is. These, these attributes are very much good news for those who are in a right relationship with God. I mean, if you think of everything you have listed here about who God is, that he's sovereign over all, that he's all powerful, that he's good, that he's unchanging, list 
after list of, of things, this is good news for those who are, are in a right relationship with God. And it's the same thing in regards to his presence, when he will dwell with them and be with them. That's a great comfort on this blessing side of things. But as long as they are, you know, in this, as long as they are adhering to the covenant, as long as they are obedient to God's commands, his presence among them is going to be a blessing. Then you're going to read a word about visiting them in the curses side of things, and it is not good news. In the midst of this disobedience, he's going to visit them with terror. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be difficult for them in light of him visiting them. So I think that's just good to, to be mindful of in these categories as we walk through. Still in the blessing section, you, you want him to dwell with you because verse 13, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. And I've broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. Okay, so the, the point here that I had made earlier with a, just a helpful comment that was given in the class, there, there's an order in God's activity with Israel. He, he, um, he saved them out of Egypt. The salvation preceded blessing. Uh, before the land, before the blessing, you had deliverance. And so, so you're seeing God, God delivered them and then now he has made this covenant with them and he, he's going to bless them. He's going to give them land. He's going to bless them abundantly. Um, and, and he already has delivered them out of it, out of Egypt. Okay, so we have walked through the blessings. Then the curses begin in, in verse 14 and following. And again, I had mentioned to think of the convert, if that's even the best word to use here, think of, think of the alternative of what it was going to be like in the blessings. It's just exact opposite um, in degree for, for these curses. So in verses uh, 14 through 17, what is, uh, what is it that Israel does that demonstrates a rejection of God? How do they reject God I, I trouble hearing. Oh yes, by 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 not obeying the this pro, this first of commands. They they the very thing that is just even repeated at the beginning. You shall not make idols. Well, they were an idolatrous people, and they they made idols. They worshipped idols, so they disobeyed God, and, and so it would be very much accurate and, and right to recognize their rejection of God is demonstrated through their rejection of his word. And so he's given them these commands. Uh, he has spoken to them and they have rejected his word. So if you're looking at verses 14 and, and following to begin these curses, you're seeing that their rejection of God is, is communicated through how they responded to his word. Um, you don't do these commandments. If you spurn my statutes, verse 15, if your soul abhors my rules, um, if you do not do all my commandments, if you break my covenant, then this is what I'm going to do to you. So their rejection of God is demonstrated through the their rejection of, of God's word. And so this is where you see that visit language. They've broken his commandments and here's what he's going to do to them. He's going to visit them. You're like, oh, good deal. No, no, no. This, this visiting is uh, one of panic. I will visit you with panic, with disease, fever, consume your, eye, make, consume your eyes, make the heart ache. You're going you're gonna to try and be productive, but it's to no avail. You know, you plant seeds, nah, it'll be, uh, your enemies are going to eat it. Uh, I'm going to set my face against you. I'm going to strike 
Uh, you shall be struck down before your enemies. And so it's not thinking, oh man, these enemies have gotten a lot more powerful. It used to be like five on a hundred. You know, we used to have, what, what happened here? Did they just train? No, they, they're on the, the wrong side here now. God, God's judging them by, by the other nations who will now um, defeat them. And so they're gonna be struck down by their enemies, not because of the skill or might of their enemies, but because this omnipotent, God uh, is responding to their, he's punishing them. He's, he's disciplining them, verse 18. If in spite of this, you will not listen to me, then I will discipline you again sevenfold for your sins. And so it's already been pointed out, why does God discipline? <clears throat> it's not just because they deserve it. This is just, this is right. <clears throat> but the discipline has an aim, and, and we do well to even think, you know, with the New Testament lens, I, I think we could even probably go there. Let's, let's turn to Hebrews. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 12, just to be reminded of, of God's aim in disciplining those he loves. <clears throat> Hebrews 12:5 And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one whom he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment... All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Uh, bottom line here, if, if God covenanted with Israel this, this uh, conditional Mosaic covenant, Israel breaks it, disobeys it, and then God just leaves them, that would have been bad news for them. If they would not have received this, this discipline from the Lord, that would bring about, you know, um, this aim of restoration because he disciplines those whom he loves. And so you're seeing discipline, it says verse 18, verse 28 again, that word is used and it may be elsewhere, but, but God disciplines them for their disobedience. And this is in this section of just these uh, curses it really introduces this curse of poor harvest. If the good harvest was, boy, it was going to be great. It was going to be good. Well, now it's not. Um, I will discipline you again. Uh, when this, this description in verse 19, I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. You're talking drought, you know, no water. This is, this is not going to be a great way to be um, productive if there's a drought. Real quick, too. Verse 19, where did, the, where did the pride come from for Israel? And I will break the pride of your power. I think this would be significant to even be mi mindful of in our own lives. What, what often prompts, you know, pride in our own lives? The blessings of God. The blessings of God, that's right. So God has just been so good to them. 
and that his goodness abounds. And they're thinking, man, you know, I really, really did work hard. Look at all this. Boy, we really did defeat our enemies. Look how great. Boy, we really are growing. Boy, we really have everything we need. Self-reliance starts creeping in and pride starts creeping in. But um, as Dave was pointing out, these are blessings of God on them. And so they have now become prideful. And so God is going to break the pride of your power. And I will, I will bring about drought is really what he's saying in, in verse 19. Just as much as he was sovereign over these wild animals where they didn't need to fear in the blessings. Verses 21 and 22 Oh, you do well to, to fear here. I will let loose, verse 22, the wild beast against you, which shall bereave you of your children, destroy your livestock, make you few in number, so that your roads shall be deserted. So, so his sovereignty over the wild animals in, in both blessing and curse. Um, okay. 23, you see these, uh, these uh, his sovereignty over enemies, just as much as they were, you know, so successful in battle before, has bring about pestilence upon them now through these other nations that he had, you know, delivered them into Israel's hand. Now Israel will be delivered into the hand of the enemy. You shall, verse 25, be delivered into the hand of the enemy. Uh, so, so God has cursed, will curse them in their disobedience. Uh, verse 26, this is that description I was showing of just as much as they had everything they needed before and they had it in, they had it in abundance. Now verse 26 is saying, you're going you're gonna to have to think very carefully and you're, and you're going to still lack. Even now that when you have, you know, 10 women baking bread in one oven, uh, they're going to distribute it and you're still not going to be satisfied. So, so they're just not going to be provided for in the abundance that they had seen. Now they're going to be starving. Um, have I already skipped over the cannibalism, or is that later? I mean, that's just an awful section that you then read about in the Old Testament where this absolutely takes place. 29, you shall eat the flesh of your sons, you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. I mean, just, he's, just, he's just judging them in their disobedience. Uh, okay, uh, so then, exile is ultimately like, this is, of all these things, these are awful. You know, God has blessed them. He's given them a land. They're going to be exiled from the land. I mean, just from bad to worse. So even when you see this, the way that his patient judgment has been poured out, it does continue to increase uh, the judgment that he unfolds on them. And so now they're, they're in exile, and, and we, we see that in the history of Israel as well. So then we do get to the aim of all of this discipline, though, in verse 40. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their treachery that they committed against me, and also in walking contrary to me, so that I walked contrary to them and brought them into the land of their enemies, if then their uncircumcised heart is humbled and they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. So, so judgment, discipline, does not prove that, that God has rejected Israel. And it's, it's opposite here. God, there, God has not abandoned Israel. So then you can even turn in you know, Romans 11 and read 
these realities, but the, the discipline, this judgment from God as an aim of restoration. And, and if, if they would just turn to him, he would, he would restore them. He would remember his covenant that he made with Abraham. And so their right response is to repent. Will be, their right response will be to repent when they fail to obey his commands. And so then verse 46 just ends with this concluding statement. These are the statutes and rules and laws that the Lord made between himself and the people of Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai. Real quick, let me turn to it. I appreciated how, this is Andrew Bonner. He's the youngest brother, well, one of the younger brothers of, of Horatius Bonner. He, um, and he wrote the following, uh, commenting on, on Leviticus to conclude this chapter. Speaking of God, he says, he sees the end from the beginning. He knew the kind of people whom he had chosen. Um, for see, at the foot of Sinai, he speaks in this prophetic strain, warning them of what he sees coming on. He knew their hearts. He did not choose them for their worthiness. He manifested grace in them. From Sinai, he looks down the stream of ages and sees their sin and yet goes forward to manifest his love and make them the objects of it. There is no one like our God. And so these are the statutes and rules and laws that the Lord made between himself and the people of Israel through Moses on Mount Sinai. All right, let's go ahead and... and Thank God uh, God <laughs> what a great point just to see. When you see the... the, the curses here but we need mercy because we we as much as god is so faithful we are unfaithful we we cannot keep god's commands and so we need god's mercy god has dealt with us in mercy by sending his son to die on the cross to pay for our sins so we could be reconciled to him so that his presence would not be one of, of fear but we can be in a right relationship with him let's pray Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that, that of these attributes that we listed, uh, seeing who you are, that you're sovereign, you're in control, you're loving, you're good, you provide, um, you're a jealous God, but you, um, you're also patient in your judgment and you are a, a God of mercy and you delight in saving sinners. And so we're comforted by these truths as we walk through Leviticus. Uh, God, I pray that you be glorified as we continue our worship as we go from here. Uh, we love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.